iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. This is a podcast from The Times, sports newspaper of the year. Hello and welcome to The Game, the football podcast from The Times. As you might not have guessed, I'm not Gab Marcotti, but Alison Rudd. I said I'd rather be with my stamp collection, but they tempted me with a stellar lineup of guests who will share their views on a fascinating weekend of football. So, a welcome to former Arsenal and West Ham player Stuart Robson, WIF WAF champion and Times writer Matthew Syed, and, making his debut on the game, Times executive editor and think tank Danny Finkelstein. Later, we'll discuss appropriate wearing of pre match t shirts and related weighty issues. But let's start at White Hart Lane. Spurs, well, Chelsea started um, the better team, then Spurs remembered that they were at home and were supposed to be attacking and then uh, Chelsea remembered that they were champions of Europe was it a case of too much grudge from Spurs point of view Stuart no I think they tried very hard uh, they, the trouble that they didn't have Bale in the side you know he's a player that would, would have been ideal for the situation when I was previewing the game uh, beforehand I was talking about if, if Chelsea can contain uh, Tottenham's wide players who have been excellent so far Lennon and Bale they'd have, they'd have the key to, to winning the game Bale not playing it meant that uh, there wasn't so much penetration down that left hand side Dempsey was was uh, playing and, and trying to come in on that to, on into his right foot but the other player they were missing was Dembele you know, Dembele has been the real inspiration for them in that midfield area. And without those two players, I thought it was difficult for Spurs to dominate the game. That was the build-up. That was the build-up. Oh my goodness! There's no Dembele and no Bale. In terms of squad terms, they have they have hmm. the, they have an amazing squad. They, Danny, do you agree with me? I thought they should be able to absorb that relatively easily. They should. There's no uh, statistical reason why Spurs are worse in their squad than other teams. Yes, it's true they have an injury rate, um, but the average injury rate is about six percent, uh, and um, if you have a small variation, you have to remember that other sides have that too. On this question of grudges, there's absolutely no evidence of grudges in any history of the Premier League. There's no statistical significance to grudge matches, so I doubt very much that was a, the um, the result of, in this game. It, basically, Chelsea were mild favourites, 38% to 36%, and... Uh, Chelsea won but when you watch the game you could quite easily see it could have ended in a draw in the end a little bit of magic from Hazard opened the game then of course Spurs had to attack and they lost um, 4-2 because of you know a defensive error they were trying to make when they had to desperately get a goal so I, I think one can put too much emphasis on issues like grudges or injuries they're just convenient explanations for something that might have happened or might not have done well I, well, I, I got the impression they were almost paralysed by the importance of the game to be honest well the only time they looked paralysed was when uh, Gallus headed the ball up in the air yes it wasn't a great header it was headed back into a dangerous area but when you watch the other players the ball was in the air long enough for three or four of the Tottenham players to go and close it down and get tighter and even get to the ball first before Cahill but they all stood still that was the amazing thing they all stood still I watched for Tongan the ball was up in the air made no effort to go and close the ball down they all watched it and Gary Cahill was first set, and what a great goal it was from him yeah. but it was the lack of urgency lack of desire from the Tottenham defenders not to get to the ball first well that, that, well, there's no such thing as lack of desire in a, in a London derby so I, I, I did feel the, the, the whole grudge thing Matthew do you think they're being, they're being a bit generous towards Tottenham in the studio here? 
Well, I, I think that the, the most striking thing about the match was Tottenham's incapacity to cope with the really remarkably fluent and attractive attacking trio uh, at Chelsea, um, Hazard, Oscar and Mata. And Chelsea, you know, for a long time, I mean, under Mourinho, a very pragmatic and utilitarian system of play, something that Roman Abramovich didn't like too much. Um, under uh, the new manager, I just feel that he's he, he has created a new system which, for the neutral, is remarkably attractive. It, it's they sort of they're very fluid. They change positions, but the intricacy of their passing is magnificent. And I, I think that Spurs were. I mean, they're not a lot worse than Chelsea. I totally take on board what Danny is saying, but I, I do think that Chelsea. Were, were, were marvellous. In his post-match press conference, Di Matteo said, what's changed is our attitude. We go away and play with the same attitude we have at home. We we take the initiative, which I I, I think that's a remarkable statement, don't, don't you, Danny? I mean, this is, this is a team that's so confident that they're prepared to play away from home at a big club yeah, as yes. if they're at home. I'll tell you what altered that game. It was Iron Robin's penalty uh, for Bayern Munich. When he missed that penalty and Chelsea won the European Cup, the result was they were able to buy Eden Hazard, who otherwise would have gone to Spurs, and his one shot through the gap uh, that got in matter to score that um, goal, to go 3-2 three, three, up, that was um, the difference. And these little things matter. Chelsea have spent uh, a fortune, and when you spend a fortune... You, do, you get more points. There's an iron relationship between money and points, and the relationship is immediate. In other words, there isn't a settling-in period, and Oscar uh, and Hazard combining with Matter have demonstrated that clearly. Although no one should forget that, that Chelsea also had Torres, and although Torres doesn't score uh, as he used to, he really does open up defence. He stretched the Spurs' defence over and over again, and uh, that gave them gave Matter and Oscar and Hazard more room to play. And it's interesting, two of uh, Torres' best games uh, have been against Tottenham where he didn't score and against Arsenal he played really well against Arsenal and kept on threatening the back of Arsenal and it allowed those players because what Matthew's saying is those three players behind the main striker people aren't sure how to pick them up do the midfield drop back to pick them up or do the defenders come out to try and confront them and that's the problem that Tottenham had on Saturday Yeah, and they're also Chelsea are not just a team with, with three beautiful playmakers they're defenders will score goals as well I mean they're like Man United but Man United are at their very best you didn't know where the goals were coming from Matthew did you? Yeah, I just think that they uh, are a, an all-round splendid lineup, and I find it difficult to say that with so many things about Chelsea uh, not to like, from the owner uh, down to some of the players and their behaviour. But I think that one has to, as it were, segment in one's mind one's feeling about the philosophy of the football club and the money that bankrolls it on the one hand and the quality that they are bringing to bear uh, on the pitch on the other. I mean, da I think Danny makes a really important point as well, that money is deeply significant here. And when you spend a great deal of money, you're likely to get results. And I think, I don't know if I've got this exactly right, 85% of the variation in points is explained just by wage differences. And of course, they spend a lot more on wages, probably double, more than double what Spurs spend. But nevertheless, the aesthetic and the dynamic that they've brought to this season, I do 
do think there's a watershed in the way that they are approaching their football matches tactically and technically. It varies a bit at the top, uh, Matthew. So it's a curve with um, which sort of flattens off at the top. You have to spend a huge amount more money in order to gain an advantage between Chelsea and Manchester City uh, because they're both spending vast fortunes. Uh, but um, you can spend a lot less money and achieve exactly the result you're suggesting between Chelsea and Spurs. And um, clearly you could watch the money on the pitch. You could watch what Hazard did. But it wasn't, of course, just about be, about having the money. It was also be, about being able to buy the players you wanted. And what did that was winning the European Cup? What, what do we think about AVB? I mean, I love the shot of him scribbling at two, three down. I mean, I've never seen anyone take so many notes so intently. I'm never sure why, I mean, I was in coaching for several years, I'm never sure why managers and coaches take notes down. If you can't remember what you're going to say at the end of the game, or you can't remember what you're going to say at half-time, then you've got a slight problem. As a coach, at half-time, I'd have three or four points that I was going to make, because players can't take any more than three or four points, and it's no good trying to change everything. So you, yeah. you have three or four really good points that you want to make at half-time, that's all you need to say. The only time I can see managers think of managers scribbling down is if they play a man-marking system at set plays and they're about to make a substitution and they have to write down who's going to be marking who, which I don't agree with anyway. Yeah, but he wasn't writing a diagram. He was writing a novel, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I think that um, you know, when we talk about bringing up children, we always talk about nurture versus nature. And uh, my view is that providing you don't actually shut your child in a cupboard uh, and not give them any food, nurture uh, the differences between two good parents in nurture don't make much difference and the same is true of managers uh, AVB at Chelsea essentially shut the baby in the cupboard you know it was hopeless management and therefore he achieved a bad result most of the time it doesn't make much difference he's take uh, Harry Redknapp's impact on Spurs is overrated when he took over Spurs there was no way they were going to finish in a bottom three when they finished in the top it wasn't only it wasn't it wasn't because of some dramatic change in their ability but because he'd actually um, they'd actually just managed to do almost the opposite of what they'd managed to do before and in other words, get within that random fluctuation right at the top rather than right at the bottom. So I think people overstate the impact of managers. At Chelsea, uh, AVB was hopeless, but that was an exception rather than what generally happens. And I suspect with Spurs, he's just doing perfectly well. And for Spurs to lose to Chelsea, well, you know, it's not that unexpected. Matthew, I mean, the, the fans uh, overall didn't take to him. Is he going to win them over? I, um, well, I, I, well, I think it'll, it'll go with the results. The narrative always follows the results rather than the other way around. But I agree and disagree with Danny I agree that managers the variation in their quality is not hugely dramatic in changing results in other words we tend to overemphasize the importance of managers unless they go and start shooting their players or locking them in cupboards I, I totally agree with that but I disagree with them about parenting I think that the, uh, and I say this as a new father no actually not really more based on the science that the level of I mean the concept of heritability is important here but when it comes to for example pl playing well at sport the variation that you get from different children based on the parenting they have is absolutely dramatic should we subvert this programme and turn it into a sort of biology game uh, <laughs> I can see Alison looking more and more concerned as the subject slows drifts away from AVB, <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna, uh, towards a discussion of whether Stephen Pinker was right in his book The Blank Slate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd be more than happy to talk about how brilliant my children are at football, but, but we won't. We'll move on instead to Loftus Road. Well, I mean, I'm not, not 
actually sure that Everton could have done much more to make sure that this could have been the moment where Marquis got his first win of the season. Um, they were without Fellaini, who, as we all know, has, has been one of the stars of the early part of the season. Um, player sent off, and they looked they looked a bit below par. Well, quite a bit below par, I think, on the whole. Uh, but still, uh, despite and, and they let. QPR score an early goal but they could not they could not get get the win um, so the, the big question is why not that's played 8-1 non why not Matthew well I mean it may well be as Mark Hughes uh, argues after every single match in his interviews with uh, with the BBC that they've just been rather unlucky I mean they certainly played a lot of the top teams so far so it may well be the case that this is something that they will overcome and improve and get better um, but I, I do think it's quite worrying when you look at the defensive frailty I mean often they are just all over the place and that may be something which is going wrong in terms of the way that Hughes is running the training sessions but for somebody from looking the outside in that seems to be their most conspicuous weakness and uh, Mark Hughes has always based his game plan around good defences Whenever he, when he went to Blackburn yeah. when he was manager of Wales when he went to Fulham the first thing he tried to base it around was a defensive policy and to be hard to beat and that doesn't seem to be the case with QPR they're, they're too easy to play through they're too easy to play I'm not sure how much work Mark Hughes and his coaching staff are doing with the, with the defensive strategy mm. I think they do a lot of work in terms of their mental side you've got to be hard to beat and all. but you have to do the work it's, it's no coincidence that the the best defences have always been the ones that have worked day in, day out on the training field, squeezing a high line, dropping off at the right times. And I, from what I can see, Mark Hughes certainly isn't doing that with the side he's got out there but, at the moment. But what, why would you not do that? Well, I could say the same. Arsene Wenger never did it until this season because he believed that his side could pass it and, and be better than the opposition and he didn't I, I still don't think he can read situations when balls are played in he doesn't know how to coach it and that's I think a, a problem with a lot of coaches in this country the, the sports science has taken over from the tactical side of the game and the coaching of the game uh, we can eliminate um, from our inquiries the idea that it's because QPR are playing difficult sides because you know the think tank looks at uh, how they're doing compared to how they should be doing at this stage, given who their opponents were, and they're bottom of the table in terms of the uh, of terms of uh, the team against expectations. In other words, they've lost more points against the number of points we expected them to win by this point in the season than any other side, and they're also bottom using any other method you use to adjust for uh, their fixture list at the beginning of the season. So clearly, they are in some trouble. There is, of course, a chance that he's right, and it is bad luck. And you know, Chow and I once said when asked about the French Revolution what do you think of it and he said it's too soon to tell well it's certainly too soon to tell <laughs> at this point uh, whether whether this is a permanent um, problem uh, and they were facing in Everton because Everton has done everything else I agree to see them lose but they were facing in Everton a very good side Everton I think people don't appreciate are either fifth or sixth, depending on how you look at the measure, in terms of uh, top sides, and they're particularly uh, good defensively. So they were playing a very tough side. Admittedly, somebody got sent off, and all that rubbish about, you know, you're better off with ten men is nonsense, otherwise everyone would play with ten men, wouldn't they? <laughs> um, so uh, they clearly were in, a, were in a bad situation. You know, they're doing very poorly this season, and obviously you do want to look at the training methods, I suppose. And... Um it was one of those games where we had a relatively new referee to the Premier League, Mr Moss, and he was blasted by both managers. Any justification for those um, rather harsh words from the managers towards the referee, Matthew? I mean, there were yeah. penal penalty shouts and the sending off was a, 
a little laughable, would you agree? Yes, I uh, I felt tremendous. Uh, I mean, I, I felt, I guess, like everybody watching, how on earth did Pienaar get, get sent off? I mean, the second yellow card, there was no contact between the two players. So it seemed incredibly harsh. Having said that, when one watched it in real time, and when one thinks of where Mr. Moss, the newest referee, was in his line of sight, it did look as if uh, Pinar had tripped his opponent. And so my, my sympathies a little bit are with, the, are with the ref. In fact, on Match of the Day 2 last night, both Shearer and Mick McCarthy said that when they watched it on the telly in real time, they thought that he should go, he should get a red card. Um, so it, it's exceptionally difficult uh, as a referee, and they don't get a huge amount of help from the very technologies that could be there to support them. The two penalties, I thought, were, were wrong as well. I mean, both of those penalties, I think, should have been given. So it was a, it was all round a bad day for, for um, Mr. Moss. But uh, one has to feel a bit of sympathy with him, as with referees more generally. I mean, they have one particular line of sight to a, a situation happening in real time, and then we get the opportunity to deconstruct it from all sorts of different angles in slow motion and so on afterwards. Um, but you can understand... Uh, Moises' frustration, that's for sure. Yeah. You're absolutely right, Matthew, in terms of uh, the referees don't, don't get any credit. They're put under a lot of pressure. And one, it's one of my bugbears nowadays. When you see managers on the side, what is their, what, what do they influence most in a game? They don't influence the tactics. They don't influence their own players. Their whole reason for being on the side of the pitch seems to be to influence the fourth official, the assistant referee, and the referee. You know, and I go back to Arsene Wenger again. He stands on, he stands on the side. In, in the last five years, I've hardly ever seen him come out and give any directions to his team. Or, or any tactical directions all he ever does is moan at the fourth official t- talk about time wasting and try and affect the referee and most managers are exactly the same and it may work I mean, that's it does work that's the problem I mean when you looked at um, the, the really odd phenomenon of home advantage which is significant very statistically significant in football that's re- that could well be channeled through referees and mm. trying to harness their various uh, cognitive biases whether through the crowd or the, or the manager so you can understand why they do it and uh, you know, it may well have an effect um, Danny you were very polite about Everton do you, do you feel that I mean they're still unbeaten a top notch work ethic do you feel that they'll be as happy as they've been for decades going into the they big derby be. match they ought to be and when you look at when you try to look at the sort of relationship between points and wage bills and then you map managers against them where you would expect them to be compared to where they are one or two managers consistently finish above that curve. Mm. Alex Ferguson does. Sam Allardyce does, actually, which is why it was bizarre when clubs sacked Sam Allardyce. But the other person who finishes season after season ahead of that curve is David Moyes. And the Everton... Uh, Everton's performance at this point is now not that unexpected by the think tank. We would expect them to be uh, doing this well. Because, what, could you factor in his... Well, because by this point, the the history of the club, when you look at the shot, when you take shots on target and their goals and you feed it into a model, you find that they're right up there. When you look at a model which compares salaries with that position, they're nowhere near. So it is an extraordinary achievement, yeah, but, uh, in particular in defence. But Moyes does have trouble with the Merseyside derby. How does... I mean, he does, even when... When he's 
in previous seasons when he's well, been in a similar situation everyone's saying wow aren't Everton doing well he still wobbles in the derby is it going to be different well playing Liverpool's quite hard I mean one of the things that because one of the other sides that are right up near the top in Liverpool so naturally speaking they'll have more difficulty in the Merseyside double than they'll have against Stoke but this isn't because it's a derby there is a little bit of evidence that derbies produce more draws so the form this idea of the form book flies out of the window in derby games it does fly out of the window but not that far it sort of falls over the windowsill and out of the window and, and, and the truth is, if you look at any side that. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Faces Liverpool will have a mixed picture because Liverpool are quite good. Predi- quite, let's, let's, quite let's have, okay, let's have predictions for the Merseyside derby. Stuart? I think it's going to be a draw. I'm going to sit on the fence. I think it'll be a draw. Uh, it's always silly to be asked about a figure, so I always say 1-1 because that's always statistically the most likely score. <laughs> Matthew? Yeah, I'm going to go with the probability, the think tank. I'll go for a draw as well. And, and, and just to throw this in, I mean, fascinating what Danny says about uh, certain managers consistently operating above that correlation between wages and performance in that along with Ferguson and Allardyce, Moyes has done this year in, year out. I mean, that, just trying to abstract from all the different bits of subjectivity that tend to influence football all the time, that sounds to me like the most shut, you know, open and shut case for Moyes getting one of the really biggest teams in Europe. And I just wonder whether, has the think tank done any work on international men, people in, who are operating in European leagues, La Liga, the Bundesliga and so on. Are there any others who are operating consistently? No, it's difficult to do. You, you have to do it when you've got the uh, data. One of the things that I should say incidentally is it may be Everton that's finishing above there. We don't know that it's David Moyes. You have to hypothesise oh. that it is. I mean, it, it obviously is Everton, but he's and he's their manager, so you assume that it is. It's um, the kit man. But it may be. But it may be the culture. <laughs> it may be the culture of the club. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And um, 
and it also may be their ability, the ability of a team on a certain amount of wages to attract good players. Because but Everton did, have got it, a history, pre- people may go there. So it could but be it, to do it, with it, that. But did it predate Moyes' tenure, or does the data not exist for no, that? No, data, we, we didn't do data that long ago. Uh, I, I, and at one point, Everton was spending big money, weren't they, in the, in the 80s when they were the exactly. top side. They, were, they could go and buy the best players and the biggest players. But the one thing I would say about Moyes at the moment, he's developed his game plan in recent times. Everton are playing the best football they've played, as well as being hard to beat, as well as being aggressive. They're now playing some creative football in the top third of the field, and that's the, that's the making of a good team. If you can defend well, you can be organised, but also create in the top third. Moyes has got it right at the moment. So it doesn't sound like anyone here thinks that they're a one-man team. Because without Fellaini, they didn't look... No, but it's, it's, I, I don't think that. It, it's fairly rare for managers to make much difference, in my view. On, on average, they don't make any difference at all. But it may just possibly be that David Moyes is an exception to that, as AVB was in the other direction. So, to the big debate. This weekend, we're supposed to start a week-long campaign by Kick It Out players were supposed to wear t-shirts saying one game one community who could argue with that but no and I can't tell you how many players didn't wear the shirt because uh, at some clubs the shirts they ran out of them and at some clubs it was too hot for them to wear them as a layer over their training shirt but it was started by Jason Roberts he said kick it out I'm not doing enough and I'm going to show my displeasure by not wearing the t-shirt this week so um, the question is does Jason Roberts have a point? Is the Kick It Out campaign a little weak? Is it funded by... Because it because it's funded by the FA and the Premier League and the PFA, is it limited in what it can do? Stuart? It is limited in what it can do. And I... I I'm not sure that Jason Roberts, uh, you've got to give everybody the chance to, to say what they feel or, and do what they like, um, but I don't think it was any benefit for the, for the, for the campaign at all. I don't think he's doing, did, did the right thing. Uh, is he doing it for his own benefit and his own publicity? That was, that was something that came into my head when I was listening to it. Oh, he's somebody that likes the media, somebody that uh, has, a, has a view and, and uh, has, a, has a place on, on, in the media. And I wondered if he was just trying to uh, make that a bit more prominent. Being a bit attention Yes, there we are. That's exciting. You've said it, I didn't. <laughs> Danny. Well, I took my son to his first game. Uh, he, he, looked, he looked at me and he said, Daddy, I thought you said we were playing Spurs. And I said, yes, we are. And he said, why does that sign say Chelsea against racism? <laughs> <laughs> and um, the, the truth is that Chelsea, uh, that, uh, the, 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 the Kick It Out campaign has had success. And if you look at Chelsea versus Spurs, you can see it. The League Cup final, the Carling Cup final between Chelsea and Spurs was a very, unpleasant occasion for a Jewish Chelsea fan uh, because um, the the anti-Semitism was appalling but the, the Kick It Out campaign has tried to deal with that and the games between Chelsea and Spurs have become somewhat better as a result of that and you do feel there's so I think that um, Jason Roberts and Rio Ferdinand are undermining a campaign that works so I don't agree with them about it however at the same time I do think they've got a right to express their opinion and I think it is foolish for Sir Alex Ferguson to start to tell Rio Ferdinand what he should think about it I think Rio Ferdinand is wrong I think that um, the uh, 
that for the Ferdinand family to keep on with the point where they've now taken it to court, the FA has ruled, the FA has suspended somebody, there's been a fine. You know, at, at this point, uh, I think they, they are, I personally think uh, that they're trying to press something on and on, you know, and Rio Ferdinand has his own disciplinary problems with the FA and expected understanding when he did those things. So I don't agree with him, but one the one thing I would say is he does have the right to hold that view, even though I don't think it's very constructive. Matthew? Um, I think it's it's definitely true they had the right to express an opinion. Uh, I think it would be abhorrent if either a football club or the Premier League or a football manager imposed their political views upon the players who were not therefore allowed to make a particular protest. I mean, this had nothing to do specifically with football. It was a question of how best to demonstrate their sentiment about anti-racism. And the perspective that Ferdinand and Roberts were trying to portray is they think that the institution kick it out is not doing as much as it otherwise could do. Now, are they right in that opinion? I think that what is clear is their stance gave the anti-racism campaign far more publicity over the last 48 hours than it would have done had they gone along with the the, um, wearing of the t-shirts. And I think they highlight quite an important point, or two important points. One is that um, just because an organization has a particular goal that we all want to agree with, in other words, getting rid of racism, are they actually doing the right thing in their approach? And I think that they're absolutely entitled and probably quite right to say they could go further. They could have been more strenuous in criticising the hypocrisy of Chelsea, who ban fans for life for racism, but have only uh, ban- who, who keeping the armband with, with John Terry. I think they're right to say that the FA should have more punitive sanctions for people who are uh, convicted on, by an independent panel of indulging in racist abuse. I mean, I think all of these perspectives are absolutely, absolutely valid, and I think they've had far more publicity uh, than they would have done had they uh, had they worn the t-shirts but could i mean could a more strident and outspoken campaign work within the confines of football i mean i think i i do feel a kick out campaign have to sort of almost tiptoe through the various really quite quite often quite toxic issues because it's not it's not an easy entity football in which you know i really would never have expected anyone connected with kick it out to really slate Chelsea for allowing John Terry to, to, to wear the armband in future. I mean, Danny, do you agree? We'd, 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 we'd be aghast, wouldn't we, if they did that? This is a lobby group. It's not... Yeah, but they, they've got... Uh, I would have been surprised if they did do it. Um, I think that Chelsea's position with relation to John Terry, and I say this sadly as a Chelsea fan, is untenable for the reasons that Matthew suggested. If anyone said that as a on the terrace, they would be thrown out. Chelsea's position until John Terry stopped, failed to appeal was that he didn't say it or he didn't say it in that context. And now the FA has ruled that that was not the case. And I think if Chelsea are going to accept the rule of the FA, they have to accept that. And I know Chelsea fan wants that to be the case, but you know, you've got to hold, hold to some political principles even when you're watching football, however hard that may be for me to accept, because uh, uh, I try to divide those things. That's almost the whole point of watching football. Uh, but um, you can't really divide it here. And I think Chelsea did have to act, and they didn't. Why do you think they didn't? Well, because if you, I think they didn't for one, 
stupid practical reason, which is I think they'd find it very hard to know who should be captain. They don't want to play Frank Lampard every week, but they wouldn't want to pass him over for the captaincy. I'm sure that was a major reason why they didn't do it, because it would cause practical difficulty. And also, one of the things people fail to appreciate in politics sometimes, when people don't resign, they're all friends together. They work together. They, they, they are on his side against the FAs. They'll be an, one of the ways you create teams, as Stuart tell us, is he's by embattling... And, I, and I've been on a, on a few shows in the last week or so, and they've had Chelsea supporters on there, you know, the, from the Chelsea Supporters Club and uh, whatever, whatever they were. And they will defend John Terry till the hill. You know, they 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 would say, yeah, well, he did say it, but he was actually he was not guilty in a court of law. You know, and he, and he, you can't condemn what he's done for Chelsea, and, and for that reason, he should be captain. They're still not getting the point. Most of the most of the Chelsea fans, they still believe that John Terry is their leader. He's a great character, all these sort of things, and it's Anton Ferdinand that was in the wrong. But add to this the fact that they, these people are sharing a dressing room. The, the, for them, John Terry is not, as he is for me, somebody who I watch on the pitch. He's a real person who with whom they work every day. And of course, you in, when some I used to experience this when working in politics for the prime minister. Somebody would get involved in a scandal, and you would go to them and say, uh, you know, the Sun and the News of the World needs a response on the scandal, and they'd say, oh, I didn't do it. And even though you know the evidence is mm. they did do it, this is someone you work with, and it's very hard to say, well, I think you're lying. And I'm sure that's the problem they've got as well. You know, John Terry, to the people at Chelsea, he's not a, a, a newspaper article. He's a real person. And unfortunately, football, doesn't. if, if the player is valuable to the club, they'll do everything they t- can to protect him. You know, uh, and, and I go back to Arsenal, Tony Adams. You know, if it had been another player who had been put in jail for, for drunk driving, they'd have got rid of him. Tony Adams, they supported him, supported him and supported him and supported him. And he went, came back as their club captain again. You know, if a player is valuable to the club... They'd do everything to protect but It's almost them. seen as character building that they've gone through the crisis yeah. in the first place. And then they're held up as heroes. Yeah. But Jason Roberts, I, I don't know if he's being self-serving and I, I think he has the right to not wear what he doesn't want to wear. But what disappointed me a little, Matthew, was that he said he will now speak to kick it out and he will talk about them getting more money. I... I don't. I think that's going off on the wrong tangent. It's not about money necessarily. It might be about where your money comes from. It's not about having more money. It's about having the guts to be. To, when it says kick it out, they mean kick. They don't just mean push gently. Yeah, and it, I, I just think it, I, I agree with you about that. And I, I think it is fascinating. I mean, two things. Firstly, picking up on what Danny said earlier, the context here is worth noting, which is that football was a recruiting ground for the far right in the 70s and 80s. You know, Danny, as a, as a Jewish man, has, has been on the receiving end of anti-Semitism as a mixed race, uh, half Pakistani uh, Brit. I had, have heard really nasty chance that have made me feel deeply uncomfortable in football stands you know, 15, 20 years ago, the situation has improved. And I think that the anti-racism authorities and the FA and the Premier League and the players and the fans who police a lot of this in the stands, who would turn around and berate somebody who used racist terminology or epithets, I think that is something to really celebrate. It's rather wonderful that the argument at the moment is just how zero tolerance we should be, just how punitive the sanctions should be. It's not a question of whether sanctions are necessary. The question is how punitive sh- should they be? And no one would dispute the fact that Terry's uh, four-match ban is just one tiny bit of the retribution he's going to face. I mean, this is going to stay with 
with him for a very long time because the cultural expectation in this country is that somebody who has been convicted in a, by an independent panel of racially abusing someone is unlikely to get a really top job in the media or, or whatever after his career ends. I think that's that's rather that's rather wonderful. Um, I mean, on Jason Roberts, I don't I don't know him well enough. I mean, I have spoke to him a few times. He seems like quite a principled chap, and I, it's probably a good thing that he's meeting with um, with Kick It Out so that he and Ferdinand and all the others who have deep concerns uh, about how punitive the sanctions should be and other issues of that kind, they get a chance to, to air their views. But it's, it's a, a, a Abramovich's new style, which is Chelsea aren't going to kick it out. They're going to pass it out from defence. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I, think, I think if we go to have a final word on this, it's a shame. The, 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 the campaign this week was supposed to be not just about... Um, how black players are treated at grounds. It was supposed to be about making sure that people from the Asian community and women and disabled groups are felt welcome at their local club. And it's about the community aspect. And that's been completely... People say, oh, it's, it's, it's raised awareness. It hasn't, actually. It's meant that people are not discussing all the other things that can be done to make football clubs part of the community, Stuart. Absolutely right. And, and again, I was on a show recently, and I said, well, when I was a player, one of the, one of the players that is very much for um, being a part of the anti-racism campaign called me a white son so twice on the football field I've never brought that up and I wouldn't say who it was but it's got to work both ways you know and, and that, that's something that we don't hear about and, and you know it's it's not just kick racism it's kick everything out of football yeah. abuse you know and there's too much abuse from the terraces I sit and stand sometimes and look at people you know 50, 60 year olds almost having a heart attack the abuse they're giving players when Ashley Cole comes back to, to Arsenal I just don't understand that mentality I try sitting in the stands shouting this is regression to the mean but no one <laughs> no one around me joins in the chant no, I, love, I, love, I love that but, but um, you know you said Alison that the debate over racism has obscured some of the de- other debates that might happen about inclusivity in football or maybe not racism obscured it but these other debates haven't actually happened I think that's a valid point but I think it is very interesting culturally that football above almost anything else in society has been a vehicle to debate big moral issues racism uh, privacy uh, nationalism um, all of these things almost all of the back pages on a Monday are moral issues rather than technical tactical issues about the game as it's played on the pitch I think football does provide something of a cultural service in allowing those debates to happen in a very wide range Now time for some of our quick hits. Edin Zeko said, I will never be a super sub. But that's precisely what he has become, isn't it, Danny? A year ago, we ranked him 19th in the whole of Europe. Now he's 106th, and that's all down to playing time. So yes, he's right to think he's become a super sub. I wonder how long he'll put up with it. Dave Jones called Leeds fans vile animals after their abusive chanting and the assault on Chris Kirkland. Matthew, do you have sympathy with the Wednesday manager? I have huge sympathy. The behaviour was despicable. Uh, the chants that rained down on Dave Jones were, were hateful. And in the heat of the moment, you can understand why he said what he did. But I think it is unfair, very unfair to characterise all Leeds fans in that way. I think it was a tiny minority. Stuart. 
Is it onwards and upwards for Norwich now they have their first win of the season? Well, they played well against Arsenal, but I've also seen them play poorly this season, particularly against Liverpool at home. I think they're going to struggle this season. Uh, they work hard in midfield. They've got a defence that, uh, again, isn't doesn't seem to be that well organised. They're going to rely on Holt for goals. I'm not sure he's going to score them. Two happy managers after the Weertine derby, but which boss should be the happiest, Danny? Sunderland had a 34% chance of winning. Newcastle had a 36% chance of winning. One all was the most likely score, 13% chance. So essentially, they both had expected value of points. One, they got one point. Neither of them should be happy. Neither of them should be unhappy. Wow. <laughs> can, can you come on every week, please? <laughs> United's uh, front three are starting to click, Matthew, and Chelsea look pretty awesome. So, when they meet this coming weekend, are we seeing a title decider? Uh, too early to describe it as a title decider at this stage of the season, but two terrific teams. Chelsea, incredibly impressive uh, this season, and I think it will be a fantastic match. Stuart, West Ham came up via the playoffs and look extremely comfortable in seventh place. How come? Well, they've settled on a style of play. I think Allardyce, when last season, was unsure with the fans how he wanted to play. Now he's, he's made it clear they're going to get the ball forward early. They've got Andy Carroll to win balls in the air. They've got midfield players supporting and winning the knockdowns. And then they're being creative in the top third of the field. And they're defending much better. So it's a good start for West Ham. I think they can keep in the top half, but it's going to be a struggle from what they're going to rely on Andy Carroll to win enough balls in the air and get their midfield players in and around the knockdowns. Alison, here's one for you. You were at Craven Cottage on Saturday. What should Paul Lambert do with Darren Bent? Uh, well, I think he should keep him. I don't think they're going to recoup anything like the £18 million that Villa paid out for him in the first place. And I think it's a chance for Lambert to show that, yeah, we all know he's good with young players. Uh, can he cope with what well, he's a relative superstar at Villa? He claims they get on famously, have a laugh together, that he he dropped him, but it doesn't mean there's an issue there. He can score goals. Let's see if he can get the best out of him. That's it for this week. I enjoyed it enormously. Thanks for your company. It's been great fun. Come and find us on Twitter, or you could email us at gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk. Join us next week, of course, because we'll be looking at the, uh, the Merseyside derby, and I think Liverpool are going to win that for what it's worth. And there's a cracker of a match at Stamford Bridge to discuss as well. Don't forget to go to thetimes.co.uk for news, gossip and, of course, the best analysis. So I'm back to my stamp collecting. Goodbye. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. 